This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. All right, time to get another perspective on all this short-selling activity. Pleasure to welcome back to the show Barry Ritholtz, founder of Ritholtz Wealth Management. Barry, great to catch up with you again. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. What's been your reaction to all of this? Complicated. Um, There's an element of much ado about nothing, let's be honest. Who really cares about GameStop? It's a tiny little mall-based video retailer, but it's a made-for-television sort of conflict with heroes and villains and Internet um, lurkers and hedge funds. And, you know, there's a whole whole bunch of nonsense with this. First off, the whole Reddit, TikTok, Robin Hood thing, this is, this is as old as the hills. You know, go back to the 1990s. We had the Yahoo message boards and Raging Bull and, and all these sites where people gathered together to swap stock tips and insights and, and collaborate what they were doing. So everything old is new again. So, so there's certainly that element. Um, I think some of the anger at the shorts is very much misplaced. The uh, Look at the history of, of fraud on Wall Street, whether it's IPO scandals or accounting scandals or work your way down the list from Enron to WorldCom to name your favorite fraud. Most of these were not uncovered by the SEC or regulators. Most of these were uncovered by um, shorts who, who have both the expertise and the financial incentive to to uncover these things. Where this is kind of different, where the 2010s and 2020s version, in the old days, the shorts were kind of quiet about it. You know, you, you, you were always at risk of getting squeezed. Yeah. You, you wanted the fundamental truth to come out, but you didn't go on CNBC with a slide deck and scream about why a company was, you know, a fraud. That sort of approach turned out to work a little bit until people realized, hey, we can shoot at these crowded shorts, and, and when they cover it, drives stocks higher. So that's what makes this a little different, is the the recent approach of being very public about it. Shorts have always been secretive, and now you see exactly the reason why. So does this have to change some of the dynamics around how hedge funds run their operations moving forward? Well, the model of we're going to establish a short position and write a giant research note and then go on TV and talk about it, I think that approach is is probably um, going to disappear. You, you know, a lot of this dates back to what used to be a private uh, conference. The Irisone conference began as a private conference where people would bring their best ideas long and short. And it was for charity. You paid a lot of money for those tickets. And you got, you know, people like David Einhorn explaining in, in 07 why he thought Lehman Brothers was a fraud. It turned out he was right. And Lehman Brothers was, you know, the financial crisis didn't make Lehman Brothers insolvent. It revealed that Lehman Brothers was insolvent. And so these things kind of migrated to TV, and, and that's when the idea of, taking a position and touting it on television to the downside um, became popular. And, and, you know, the past decade, um, shorts have had a hard run of it because the market has marched relentlessly upward. 
this seems to be a little bit of a later cycle phenomena with things as elevated as they've become over the past since the March 09 lows and since the you know the crash and recovery in in March of last year and so we see people uh recognizing that a crowded short position which is easy enough to find with modern technology um is easy pickings and and that's what seems to be going on here should the government step in at some point you know, first of all, I think shorts are an important part of uh, the financial ecosystem. You know, they're the ones who often identify frauds. And by the way, in crashes, they're the ones that put a floor under the market because they, after markets fall, they're the ones who are the first to buy to cover their short positions. Um, so I don't know if we want to see the government stepping into to that. Uh, the idea that companies like Robinhood just lack the financial wherewithal to meet whatever sort of regulatory capital minimum obligations they have. Um, that's something that I think we're going to see some investigation to. To their credit, they turned around last night and took almost a billion-dollar line of credit from, uh, I think it was J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. I'm doing this by memory. Um, and so that gave them a sufficient capital you know, uh, brokers have a minimum amount of capital they have to have on to cover all the trades that are going on in their platform because their risk management isn't perfect. And exchanges put these rules into place in order to make sure that when you buy or sell a stock, the person on the other side of the trade makes it makes good on it. And and one of the mechanisms for enforcing that is the capital of the exchanges, and so they're incentivized to make sure that everybody has sufficient money, and that's why um, they halted some of the buying. I think they lack the buying power. So, so people don't realize there's, there's a little bit of Dunning-Kruger naivete in some of these Robinhood traders. They don't realize that, yeah, Robinhood's a fun app and everything, but they're not Goldman Sachs. They're not Schwab. They're not... Right. Fidelity or Vanguard. They're not some of these giant entities that have so much capital that you don't run into that sort of issue of, hey, my maybe my platform can't afford for me to be an actual trader here, especially in a stock that's gone up, you know, a bajillion percent. So uh, I think it was a little bit of a, of a rude awakening for a lot of people. Hey, that's what happens when you gamify trading, and Robinhood has been fantastic at gamifying it. They're just less good at being a, a brokerage platform. So do they need to have more, I won't say culpability, but responsibility in terms of working with the people that want to invest through this uh, avenue? And, and Kevin O'Leary, we had on a little while ago, talked about the opportunity that maybe is there for Robinhood to be a teacher to a lot of these people uh, because he, and he notes because in part our, our, our education system hasn't done a good enough job of doing it. Yeah, no, that's a terrible take. And I'll explain why Robin hood uses gamification to tickle your dopamine receptors. They make trading fun. When, when you play any of the multiplayer games and you frag the opponent that, that rush you get from virtually blowing something up, that's what Robin Hood has done with trading. They, they've gamified it. They've turned it into a video game. They have, their business model has precisely zero interest in educating people 
about trading. That, by the way, is a giant oversight of our education system. We don't teach the basics of finance. We don't teach how to put together a household budget, how to manage your investments, what to think about in terms of planning and, and retirement. And that's not a stupid app's responsibility. That's the education system responsibility. That's society's responsibility. All of these various apps from TikTok to Facebook to, to Robinhood have perfected the dopamine algo. They, what they're doing is getting people really excited about whatever the dumb thing of the day is. I mean, look at, look at how – spend some time on TikTok and look at how those algorithms – just take you deeper and deeper down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. where within the first five seconds you're you're either liking it or, or moving on and you don't have to click a button they could just tell by whether you watch it or where you swipe on to the next one and so all of these algorithms and and Facebook is probably the one that's most guilty of this but you can see the same thing with YouTube and so- other apps what they do is they pursue the most outrageous, the most clickbaity, the most exciting things. And all of these technologies are working in some cases to radicalize people. Look at the attack on the on the Capitol. You could follow that whole QAnon path from from Facebook and YouTube. These are, are the American version of the Taliban radicalizing people through technology. Now the good news is it's only a small percentage of people who right. fall down these rabbit holes and, and become kind right. of, you know, disconnected from reality. Right. But it's still hundreds of thousands of people, and, and that's a problem. Barry, as always, great to talk with you. We will uh, be in touch soon. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. Barry Ridholtz, who is the founder of Ridholtz Wealth Management. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.